CFB Paint back for another episode. This time we're at week five review and recap. We are going to do our rapid round, but first we have to decide in order of who would survive the longest in the wilderness. And we did a little preliminary chat on this, but uh, opening up the discussion, anyone want to throw their hat in the ring is who would who would survive? Like, I, I don't know if we're doing like a plane ca- crash scenario or if it's like a survivor naked and afraid alone type deal. So maybe, maybe we need to find some rules here, but I, Let's this will be interesting. Alone? Okay. okay and so I'm not some, even that familiar with that program. So, so. so some basic tools that you can work yeah. with. Uh, basically, with alone, it's like I, you pick like 10 out of however many, but you're not you know, drop naked with no materials and making stuff out of sticks. You might have a knife or you might have uh, a net or something. Um, for context for everyone listening... We've got three Eagle Scouts here. That doesn't mean we're survival experts, but it does mean that we're at least familiar with some of the dangers and things to stay away from, uh, like cuts and infection. Uh, My knee-jerk reaction is Corey being someone who likes uh, survival reality TV a lot. We might have have a a lot more experience of seeing what people do stupid that Steve and I might fall into uh, as novices. Um, I also mentioned to Steve off-air, politely... I don't quite have the fat reserves, so if our food collecting ability is all the same, I think I'm the first one out. So I, I, I'm i very confident in myself, but I, I'd not, I don't think I'm that much better of a survivalist that I'm really going to be able to out-hunt, maybe if I'm lucky, out-fish. But that's really my only hope. I, I think I might come in third on this one, though. See, I'm worried more so, like, I, right, we don't have training, none of us have training, so we'd be kind of winging it, whatever, but like, would my mentality be be good enough to to go? Do am I mentally strong enough? And I don't, I like to think that I am, but in rea- reality, my kids get under my nerves all the time, and so the, the wilderness would get under my nerves so fast. I think be like ah, if I if I knew there was a way out, I might pull the plug quick. But if I don't, if I'm on TV and I'm like, oh, I'll be embarrassed, and Heather will disown me, I wouldn't pull the plug nearly as fast. Yeah, pr- pride's quite a motivator in that sort of situation. <laughs> I'm like, all right, just sit here. Who cares? Yes, I'm being not on by a copperhead. Whatever. I'd rather <laughs> die than have you know go home. <laughs> That's the one thing I think I have up my sleeve is I think I think the mentally tough part of me is is, is my edge. You like are, I, I feel I well, feel I think... okay on on my survival skills. Again, it's it, to me it's largely dependent on where you drop me in the Alaskan wilderness, and I am not going to last very long. You put me on a desert island. You know, like I feel like I'm I'm gonna do great. You put me in like an island again. I lived in I lived in the Samoan Islands. Like put me in the South Pacific with nothing but like a machete in my hands. Game over. Like I I, I would thrive. So Steve's um, ready for survivors. What he's telling us. It's yeah. I was gonna say again. It depends on the location. You put me in like some sort of rainforest, and it's a different story. So, um, so I, that's that's the part where it's hard. So I I probably put myself. I don't know. I, I don't know if I put myself ahead of either of you either that's the hard thing i think this is a close one so with our wives permissions during this next you know summer whatever we need to figure this out and have we it sort it out oh we've got to put it to the test next year we'll be able to do one of these to go who actually made it the longest <laughs> brian's still not here because he died or he out no, nobody heard my radio and the bears were coming um no i feel like i can confidently put myself third in this one i don't think any of us would do extremely well i do think steve 
you're right on your mental toughness, especially with like your wrestling background. Like to me, that's a sport where a lot of it is like, all right, this sucks right now, but I can deal with sucks, you know? And, you know, soccer, I'm like, this sucks. I got to start beating that guy. (laughs) It's kind of how it goes. I also think it matters like how well you can sleep. Can you sleep like Mike Bear where you sleep anywhere and all time or at the drop of a hat? Or can you, do you sleep like my wife does? And if anything is sounding, it's made, she's gone. I'm the person I can feel like I can sleep anywhere. She's like, gone. All right, I'll take third. I'll let you guys duke it out for the best survivalist. Oh, all right. (laughs) The first person goes first. Uh, I guess you Um, get to choose. Okay, I'm going to have you go first. Okay. (laughs) Um, My rapid round, we had a close game with Georgia and Auburn. Uh, Not that Auburn looked super impressive, but Georgia didn't either. But we're still waiting a little bit in this season to have uh, big upsets in the year. We've had some upset wins. You know, Ole Miss beats LSU this uh, week. L- or Clemson gets beat week one by Duke. But for how vulnerable a lot of the top 10 teams look, um, like a USC or a Florida State or teams who, you know, played things a little bit too close at times, or, or Michigan or Penn State who have started slow in games, they, you know, ended up getting the job done pretty notably. But I'm still waiting on the big upset or upsets uh, to to occur. So it's been fun already, but it's now at this point I'm starting to get a little antsy. It's like I want things to to shake up in a major way. I don't want the same teams being in the top seven, top eight, week in, week out. I'm ready to see, you know, Maryland take take down Ohio State next week or something something big happen. Yeah, I second you, Brian. I want to see some some craziness. We've seen some susceptibility in close games, pretty much by every single person on the board. Nobody's blown out and pressed us. Um, honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I think the most well-rounded team right, right now that would be Texas, um, potentially. Agreed. And, but I'm, yeah, I want to see some upsets. I want to see some stuff, see some crazy stuff. That being said, I did enjoy this week because there were some fun games, like games that just didn't go the way you expected them to go. Games that kind of were a little bit more closer. They were high scoring games, that, which is what I had an issue with last year, week or a few weeks ago when it was like, these are good teams, but they're all scoring like a few points. No, these teams put points on the board and made it fun and a little crazy. A lot of blocked, blocked extra points, you know, punch return for touchdowns. That kind of made the game. So, good week. All right. My rapid reaction is Wild Wild West, uh, specifically the SEC West. Who is going to win that? Like, it's it, now I think it's anyone's game. I would have written Texas A&M off. Now I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure. The other teams all look a little shaky, too. LSU's not out of it, but they, they've got flaws. Like, you know, 55 points given up to Ole Miss. Ole Miss, uh, they've already got one loss, but it's to Bama, and they don't have to play Bama again. So, like, I, I got four or five teams that I'm just like, I, on the right day with the right bounces of the ball, could uh, could probably walk away with the division crown. So I, I'm excited to see that one continue to play yeah, out. Yeah, and Bama's got an interesting matchup in A&M coming up. The fact that, like, they're like 127th nationally in sacks allowed, and Texas A&M's like six in like sacks that they produce. So this is going to be like an interesting matchup with with those two teams. I think you're right. Oh, yeah. Who's, who wins the SEC West? We're only two games or one game in, depending on who you are. Like, yeah, and I think there's only two teams you can really count out. Like I think it's not Mississippi State, not Arkansas. Anything else is on yeah. the table. Exactly. Exactly. So if you have to put a gun to your head and money where your mouth is, who do you pick right now? Texas A&M. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly where I was going to go to. I was like, I hate to say it, but I mean, I hate to say it. Just I hate, I, like, th this is going to age poorly, I'm sure. Me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I'm, if you think about who they have to play still, LSU has a bad secondary, and I think they can exploit it. Yep. Uh, Ole Miss, not good on the back end, and I think they can exploit it. So you beat those two, you get some help with Bama. Um, yeah. You know, again, you can beat Bama. Like, if you beat Bama, you can take care of that. That's, that's the one where, I mean, maybe this is a spoiler alert. I, I, I'm a little surprised Bama's only two and a half point favorites. Like, that's the one that I think, I don't know. I don't know. I, but right now, I think if you're a, an Aggie fan, you've got to be feeling kind of good, which is weird. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of football to still be played, but I, my money's I on Bama. I worry about LSU the most for that team. So, like that team, I think is going to lose to LSU. So, like you can't, they can't exploit that bad defense as much. Sorry, you're saying that LSU is going to lose to Bama, or Bama's going to lose to? LSU? I'm saying Bama's going to lose to LSU, um, but uh -oh. I think Bama still wins the West. Interesting. Um, All right, we'll see. Yeah. And I reserve the right to change my mind with exactly. more information. Exactly. <laughs> At this juncture, I think A&M, which is There's weird because they're playing with their backup QB for the rest of the year. Like, okay. Who looks way more effective, right? Yeah. He uh, looks Max really Johnson's good. Johnson's always been a decent QB. Like, he's always been a good quarterback. So, um yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I guess there's our rapid round. Thanks for giving us some thoughts. Let's let's look at kind of the whole weekend. Um, so we'll go ahead and recap. And I don't know if we, we don't quite have these in chronological order. Some of them are, I think, but others aren't. Most of We want to move bad. some of the midweek. No, it's good. Um, let's go. Maybe let's go. Yeah, just in the list that we got them. So Texas forty, Kansas fourteen. This game, I think, in our uh, previews, we kind of just i don't know if anyone touched this game i sure didn't i was like i have no idea this could be close this could be a blowout like we also didn't know whether Jalen daniels is going to start or play in the game and he didn't and their backup uh jason bean did not look good um i mean he had to get nine completions in the entire game that's like, right it was, not, it was not good but it's a this is where you see like this is i've been skeptical sarkeesian i feel like he loses you a game that he's not supposed to win but he has this team taking care of business when they're supposed to take care of business. They had a, a one flounder where they flirted with disaster with Wyoming and then kind of blew them out in the fourth quarter. But, like, there's not a, another team, in my opinion, that's dominated their teams that as well as Texas has. I mean, you, this team can pass. They've got a quarterback. They've got receivers. They can run the ball. They've got a great running back. they got multiple great running backs, actually. Um, but I'm, I'm terrified to play this team, if, I, if I'm anybody. Um and I think the biggest hiccup they have, or biggest challenge they have left on their schedule is next week against Oklahoma. So, yeah, I took uh, I did take Kansas to cover the spread. I was thinking Jalen Daniels would be playing, and it was a wide spread. I think it was twenty two and a half out open. So, I thought you know safely we can we can get close here. Um, and really, I think forty to fourteen is this game was close points wise for a minute, but Kansas never looked threatening. Um, I, I was at first following this game. I didn't watch it live at the time, went back and watched. And I was like, Oh, they were never moving the ball. This was never going to be one where Kansas is going to be able to pull out the victory. Ultimately, like the, the, the quality shows through in the end, but I do just wonder a bit, like if you had a little bit better 
a better play from Kansas is like slightly, are you able to spook them earlier? If you get like an extra touchdown, something to just get the nerves in there a bit, you know, once a team starts to think, Oh no, is this team really doing this? Then that can provide a, a window that isn't normally there, but it, Kansas just never had that edge in this game. And, and Texas, you know, did what they do and, and followed through, ran up the points, stopped the, the points coming in and, I, it's going to take somebody jumping on them early or somebody like Oklahoma to to stop them because right now they are really running really well. Yeah, I, I referenced a stat last week about like the average 25, uh, 20, top 25 team versus their schedule and how many points they would overscore everybody. Um, Oklahoma still leads that, but Texas is a close third, or second or third. So it's kind of going to be an interesting game to watch this next week when they both Overly, you know, they score more points than the expected 20, top twenty-five team against their opponents. So, and, and OU's defense is top-rated based off of what they've done. So it's kind of interesting watching the analysis going. We'll see. Yeah, we'll get we'll get more answers on both those teams this next week. Um, pumped for that one. Uh, another early Saturday game was the USC Colorado game. Um, I, I know that this is one that. Probably we. I, I well, actually, I don't know your opinions on this. We didn't talk about this before we started. Brian, you mentioned you wanted to give some thoughts on this. Take me through it. Yeah, n- nothing crazy. UFC jumps out to a huge start to the point where most people have probably switched channels and go, "Okay, this is a foregone conclusion." And me? then, yeah, yeah, myself among them. And Colorado kind of comes storming back. When I say storming back, it still didn't feel like they were ever going to get there. I know they end up within seven points, and there's a little bit of dressing it up to to look a little bit better than it was but this is another scenario of usc not finishing the game you know they they get out to a lead but they don't kill it and that's the you know the opposite of what we're seeing with texas is when texas gets a hold of the game it's over they end it they finish it they they don't give you any more breathing room usc does not do that and this wasn't with backups in this wasn't like it was garbage time the, the whole time, you know, like it was most of the second half that Colorado started storming back. It was just such a, such a hill to climb at that point, but you just are waiting for, for the axe to fall for USC where they, they come against the team that has a little bit more power and they let them hang around and, Oh, you know, eventually that clock goes and that ball is shaped weird. It bounces funny. And sometimes it goes the other team's way. And, you feel like there's got to be a team outside of Oregon, Washington, outside of like the upper tier of the Pac-12, who's going to have a real shot uh, in you know last play of the game to beat USC because of it, because they're just not putting teams away. Um, the defense just needs to figure themselves out. Changed that game at all, Brian? That's a great question because you wonder how much is the team relaxing after they get out to that lead. Is is there yeah. any element of that where? They lose the momentum, and then they realize, oh, we can't regain it. But would they still jump out to the same lead? It's super possible that with Travis Hunter on there, they're not able to jump out to quite the same lead. And it does feel like Colorado's got a chance to bring it back. It's impossible for me to say no. He doesn't impact the the result. Because he, at worst, would be like the third best player on the field. Like, I would say in the stadium. Like, probably second best player. Probably. So I, I, yeah, I think he impacts it. It's hard to say though, if he flips, you know, is he worth eight points right there? Yeah. My, my other thing that I'm like realizing is like, I don't think this USC team makes the playoffs, which I kind of would have said in the beginning. Like 
they just don't have a defense to make the playoffs. So they're going to get beat by the Pac-12 is, is just too loaded with good offenses, and they have yet to play one, to be honest. Quite, But, like, once they start playing these good offenses, they're going to fall at least to one person, probably multiple people. And I don't see them winning the Pac-12. Yeah, I was imagining them in the playoff, and I was watching other games this week, and I said, forget the playoff. If they played Ole Miss, I think they're losing because Ole Miss is just going to score 60, and that's that's hard to outscore. You know, you can't expect Caleb Williams to be perfect the whole time. He's a great player, but you uh, outscoring everybody every week while you're leaving the gates fully open on defense is not a super sustainable strategy. You've got to have some limiting factor back there, and they have shown very little. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen a team do that, win a national title, or even compete for a national title that didn't have a okay defense. You, you've got some interesting challenges uh, looking ahead for, for the Southern Cal. This week, they're at home against the Arizona Wildcats. I'm higher on Arizona than I think anyone is. So, Well, I um, mean, after Washington, I mean, we should all be a little bit higher, right? Yeah, I mean... I th- I think their backup QB might actually be better than their starter. Um, so it wouldn't stun me if uh, Jaden Delora gets Wally pipped in Tucson. We'll see. But um, so they, they have that one. Again, it's at home. If it was in the desert, I'd feel leave even better about the chances of that game getting a little wild. Um, but the next week at Notre Dame, what would you say? I was just repeating you. Crazy things happen in the desert. <laughs> oh, they do. And I'm so disappointed that, like, USC, Washington, Oregon, and UCLA all now avoid going to, like, night trips in the desert in October and November because wild things happen. Um, the Big 12 is about to find out. But you're talking um, about Notre Dame. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Notre Dame, who has a defense, a really good one. Uh and so you're going to on the board (laughs) well i mean if let me put it this way if san jose state can score 28 and if arizona state can score 28 i think notre dame can score 28 i imagine so yeah anyway that's just yeah Uh, to me i draw more conclusions from usc uh in, in this game with colorado than i do about colorado like props to them they kept fighting to me i that's kind of just like, oh, we'll make it look, we'll make it look pretty. Like I, I don't, I don't give Colorado a ton of credit for that comeback. But again, I, I think they're light years ahead of where they, anyone would have expected them to be. I think they're probably a six or maybe even a seven win team if things go their way. So I, I'm not throwing shade so much as it's just like, okay, you, you kept fighting. I'll tip my cap to you for that. But yeah, it, it's kind of like a lot of people are raising eyebrows, at, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. But at that Washington result, but it's like Arizona never once had the ball with the chance to take a lead, except for the very opening possession of the game. I guess maybe technically their second possession, if you go for two and and go up eight seven, like you know. So like people are making a big deal out of that Washington game. I'm not, but and that's the same thing here with uh, with Colorado's effort. Like good for them. It it to me is more concerning that USC wasn't able to keep a bit more distance between them as they jumped out to an early lead and, uh, and just kind of, yeah, eased up. Yeah. Um, th- this year's USC feels oddly to me a lot like last year's UNC where we've got the offensive firepower and then we're just not going to stop anyone. And we've mm-hmm. got the elite quarterback play. Who's going to make us through, make it through a lot. Of course, their positional play is, or I should say their skill position plays better than, well, I don't know better. 
you had, yeah, you had some really good position players last year, but um, it, it they feel much again much more like last year's UNC than last year's USC. I think they're going to run into more trouble than they did. Got it. Yeah. Um, going on to a game that was much more uh, close uh, throughout the game, I should say. Georgia twenty-seven, Auburn twenty. Corey shaking his head. Talk I mean, to me. It could have been. Uh, I'm glad it didn't happen to some degree because there were a lot of good recruits in Auburn uh, for that game. Uh, some Florida State recruit commits in particular, and I'm like, eh, I'm not happy about that. But um, honestly, like Brock Bauer single-handedly brought this team back. I don't know what Auburn's thinking with their defense. He's wide open over and over and over again. I don't know why you're not double covering him. They're, who else are they going to throw it to right now? Like, there's nobody that's proved anything. I think the next closest receiver has four receptions, and the next one has two. It's and then he has like nine. It's just you got to lock him up. He's their best player by far on offense from an offensive weapon standpoint. So lock him up. I don't care if you get run. You get you allow the run to go. You put a linebacker underneath and a safety over the top. You play man to man against the other people and make Carson Beck beat you. Don't look like Brock Bauer beat you. And if they'd done that, I think they would have won this game. I love the reliance that they have on the quarterback run within this game, um, and kind of like it made Georgia's defense kind of struggle. Like, oh, do we guard the run? Do we guard the pass? I think they had between the two quarterbacks. I think they ran for I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was like I think it's a hundred yards between the two quarterbacks. I think it's, it might be one hundred thirty. Yeah, I believe that Peyton Thorne had one of his his best running days of his career. Um, yeah, he 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 was not a runner at Michigan State, and they bring in a separate quarterback specifically to do the running at Auburn. But still, he he ran all over Georgia. Uh, Josh Pate had the tweet of the week for me with Brock Bowers is the best team in the country. Um, it's not bad because <laughs> he absolutely was. He he you know when it came down to it, they needed some elite play, and he had times where he was you know wide TF open, but he had some plays where he's just snatching the ball one-handed uh, and doing ridiculous stuff. And that is, that's what you get with, with the best tight end in the country, but they really needed him. And this just looks bad for Georgia going forward. Like I get that the quarterback run was a big part of this, but the run game as a whole was okay. Um, Auburn had, I think 88 yards through the air. You're going up against another team pretty soon here. Uh, this next week, who likes to run and didn't throw a whole lot against Florida, um, you, you've got to figure out know, a, a little bit more there. And Kentucky's defense, I think, is going to be better than Auburn's. I, I'm not sure of that, but they're. I like them scheme wise for this matchup. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But it's I don't know it. it Gives a lot of questions to Georgia. I really wish we had that Oklahoma game this year, uh, that I think it rescheduled because that would have given us a lot of light onto who is this Georgia team. Because now I think we're more curious than ever. Are they giving? And it's not the same attitude, so I don't want to compare the teams in terms of just like attitude. But they're giving me lots of 2014 FSU vibes in terms of like we're gonna flirt with disaster and we're gonna pull it out the fire at the very end. Uh, well, not even at the very end, but just like they'll they'll just re they'll be able to win. What they did the same thing last year, even like Georgia, Georgia flirted with disaster all last year and like didn't like play until the second half and kind of played with their food. What I'm more interested in or surprised about is like this is 
you haven't played anybody, right? So it's like, okay, everybody can have been like, and this is what I thought was going to be the narrative. It was like, all right, you don't really care. You're not up for it. But this is like the oldest rivalry in the Old South or longest rivalry in the Old South, whatever it is. The Deep South's oldest rivalry. Yeah. You can tell, obviously, I don't give a shit. Anyways. Um, <laughs> like, you, this would have been an opportunity to make a statement saying, oh, yeah, we may be moving around, but we are a, a team that means business and we are going to win a national title. And that didn't happen. Like, they didn't look great. So you go and check it back at last year's stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you can you see some, like, the Kent State was a little bit surprising, but Kent State also has, like, three or four transfer wide receivers that are all playing at much higher levels of ball now. Yeah, uh, obviously, then, the Missouri game was the one that came to mind. Yeah, where they yeah. win 26-22. Uh, but the rest of their schedule, uh, Oregon 49-3, to of course, out at South Carolina 48-7, uh, Auburn 42-10, to that was at home. Vanderbilt fifty-five to nothing. Florida forty-two twenty. That was close at halftime with some turnovers. Eight and that's what I feel like. There was a lot of Florida's games that were rather. Yeah. Last year. All right. Fair. I, I just feel like th- this this year they're 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 facing tests seemingly every week, and it just kind of gives me like back to you know twenty fourteen Florida State, where it's like, oh, is this the week that we're gonna lose because we're not we're not on our on our p's and q's like we should be. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think Auburn had the right thing or had the right kind of game plan for it. They also were aided by two turnovers right at midfield. Um, so they got a couple of short fields that helped. Um, but I sure didn't have a Peyton Thorne 62 yard run on my bingo card. So uh, that was pretty interesting. Just like, oh, kids got some wheels. Um, yeah. So from a fairly low scoring affair, 27 um, 20. Hit the under cash, so boom, nailed that one. Um, <laughs> to a very high scoring, in fact, the most high scoring game uh, this season thus far in Division One FBS football, Ole Miss fifty five, LSU forty nine. Uh, I had eyes on this one, Brian. I think you you also were able to catch some of this game. Do you have any reaction response? Uh, t- to me, it's just the sieve defensively that LSU is. Uh... Both of them obviously let up a ton of points, and it's just kind of shoot out a matter of who's going to trip up the one time that that matters. Obviously, there are more than one time that a team didn't score a touchdown going down the field, but this defense for LSU, specifically a secondary, you've got some injuries there that don't help, but it wasn't good to start with. And any team that has a competent quarterback and wide receiving group, like they've got a good shot to beat you, even though you might be able to dominate one line if not both um they just have nothing on the back end and that J- jackson dart just absolutely ate today jenkins had a good game as well they finally got him going because I-, I had been critical of old miss uh, and i still like came away from this going i still don't think old miss is that good but clearly they're better than i thought they were and lsu is just vulnerable as can be uh, and that that's just really interesting to watch with some of the elite talent and players that they have in certain spots, their holes are really gaping. And that's just like, there's there's no papering over at this point, and it's not something that they can, you know, they need to get healthy fast, and they need to figure out something to where they are putting a lot more bodies in the back end because you don't have the quality to, to overwhelm you. So you really need that. It, to me, this was a surprising one. I thought LSU was going to win, and, and win easily but credit to, to Kiffin credit to Jackson Dart having a good game Ole Miss jumped all over him and, and stayed with it to the end you know they 
I, I, they finally started to slip, and LSU took the lead, and I was thinking, okay, here's where it, it turns. But they kept with them, got the crucial stop. You have the the Ramos missed field goal, and then that's that's it. As soon as you know you're getting close to the last drive, you're probably going to win this one uh, with the, with the way it's been going. That being said, I don't know why Ole Miss scored on that last drive. Like you left time on the clock, you could have just got down at the at the at the one the five and then ran the clock out and hit your, hit your field goal. I, I agree. I think that was poorly managed. But that's one of those things where, like, I think if you had a coach in his ear when he's on the sideline, the coach would be yelling at him, but. That you know, t- tough to get a player not to score a touchdown when they can. Yeah, I don't remember how many timeouts were at, LSU had, but still. Yeah, and I, I think you actually saw Lane Kiffin talk to I forget which receiver it was that that scores, but I think he talked to him after he did and said, "Hey, in this situation, yeah. we want you to dive at the two. Um, but even then, like I, I don't know, like college kickers, like I. I <laughs> I, I might take the points when I get them. And that's Just, my conundrum. I'm like, how much do I trust my kicker versus, I mean, like, you never know if I can punch it in and guarantee it. Yeah, it, it's it's always going to be, you know, a, a little bit tif- difficult to manage that. To me, the thing that's surprising about LSU is that we, we, I think, noted this in, like, our preseason that, like, their secondary was kind of cobbled together once again out of the transfer portal. I think what made me sort of dismissive of it was that I expected their defensive front to be better against the pass. Um, and even still, you know, 39 passing attempts for, for Jackson Dart. And, and, and as far as passing plays versus run play, they did not re- register a sack in this game. Uh, LSU didn't. Um, thir- so 39 pass attempts for Jackson Dart, 39 dropbacks. So it was probably actually a few more dropbacks if you, if you ran some on I don't have those kinds of stats in front of me. Uh, 40 rushes, really balanced from Ole Miss, but 39 attempts and Harold Perkins, nine tackles, one tackle for loss. I I've, I mean, I'm going to just jump into like major speculation here, but he's not being utilized like he was. And it's the same defensive staff. Like what what's going on there is, is the thing that I'm interested. I haven't like done a deep dive on like their film, uh, but it just doesn't feel like he's impacting games like he was last year. So uh, I'll be interested to see if they make any changes. This game maybe is the catalyst. They're now a two loss team, one loss in conference, the margin for error for LSU. If they want a chance at the sec championship, basically zero. Now the playoff I think is gone uh, unless you have some real chaos take place. I don't know. That That's the one that's interesting to me. If he, And if he feels that he's not being utilized as, are there changes on that staff that maybe make him stay? Or does he consider hopping in the portal? He was committed to A&M at one point. They're leading, like you said. They're doing a great job getting after the quarterback. And that would be another weapon for them. I'm, like, way over my skis when it comes to just speculating wildly and perhaps irresponsibly. But I I, like, I don't know. That, that's just a, a little bit of stream of consciousness for me. The other thing that I, I had on that game that I thought was surprising, I felt like LSU – uh, I mean, I'm a little surprised that not just there in the last possession, but the possession prior to that, there's just some interesting like, calls. So they, they end up, their last two drives, and first one ends in a punt, and the, the second one ends with the, you know, the clock running out on the game. But it, on, on that 
first play, um, yeah, so they, they Ole Miss scores a touchdown to bring it within two points, right? So it's 49-47, LSU is leading. Uh, they get the ball with five minutes left. Uh, pass complete to Mason Taylor for 22 yards. Uh, then the, then, a, then they d- decide to try and tackle some clock after they do that. So they have the 47. Jaden Daniels runs. It's a design QB run. Logan Diggs runs. And then they take their own timeout. And I'm going to forget how this played out. Maybe they took it after the entire play clock had ran down to try and get it right. And then third and five, they get, they you know, one of few defensive plays in the game. Ole Miss sacks Jaden Daniels. But I, I, it just was really interesting that they were like, okay, now we can go to work on the clock when they have not run the football particularly well um, all season. And, and I guess in this game, they were, you know, they had a couple of explosive, like Logan Diggs runs for 100 yards, but most of their rushing, you know, Jaden Daniels runs for 99 yards and a touchdown and with a long of 55. So it's like, it's, that's, I mean, their average rush, if you take that out, I'm trying to do some math in my head real quick, but if you take that rush out, they're not running the football successfully. I'm a little surprised they weren't a little more aggressive in terms of trying to get first downs via the pass rather than running the ball and, and draining the clock. Like, I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of criticism to be passed around. I mean, it, normally you'd think 49 is enough to win a game. So maybe that's kind of what Brian Kelly was like. I, I think if we can just run the clock out here, we're, we're, we're good. But I don't know if you've had any evidence really this, this year that says like, oh yeah, we can just run the football whenever we want to. No, LSU, so. The other thing, like a four-yard completion is as good as running the ball. Um, if, and potentially a four-yard completion goes for 12, you know? So that, to me, it's just what, go with what has worked. You've got the talent on the outside. You can, you know, they're going to be wanting to prevent anything from going long, so you're going to have some room to throw. I don't yeah, know. Dance with the one that brung you. Exactly. <laughs> All <laughs> right, we'll, we'll move on. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Both of their losses, they have not had a sack yet. That's crazy. They didn't sack Florida State. Mm-hmm. Interesting. No. Nah, Jordan Travis is happy to throw up uh, jump balls for their middle linebackers instead of take a sack. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Doesn't matter. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we go from offensive explosion back down to a, a little bit more of a defensive struggle. Here we go. Um, Notre Dame, Duke. This one, who, oh, it looks like Corey, you watched this one. I, or I can take the lead however, however you want to play it. And then I'll jump All right. So I, I picked up this one at halftime. I can't remember what I was doing before that, but I picked it up at halftime. Uh, Notre Dame is up, are they up 13 nothing at that point in the games? I want to say that's right. Yeah. And, and really it was just kind of like, all right, this is going to go just like lots of Notre Dame games in, in the last two years under Marcus Freeman, where they're the physically superior team. They're going to just kind of, all right, we're going to get a lead. We'll sit on it. We'll drain the clock. We'll get out of here with our win. Uh, Riley Leonard, man, that guy is fun to watch. Um, creates some magic. You know, he, he's a really gifted runner and, you know, orchestrates a couple of drives for them to take the lead. And I, I it's funny because I was thinking – at the time, I was trying to catch up just looking at, like, you know, ESPN, looking at this, like, this game cast and, like, trying to get a sense of what had happened. Uh, and I knew it was, like, you know, a 13-score lead is not safe. Like, that is 
and in fact, I think we've talked about this before, but I'm going to quickly just side tangent real quick. Uh, the second I have a two score lead, I am doing whatever it takes to make it a three score lead. And I don't care if I leave it at a two score lead in my attempt to do that. Right. There's no way I'm kicking a field goal up 10, nothing is what I'm saying. I, at third down, I'm telling my offensive coordinator, Hey, you got two tries for this one. So get us half of it. Uh, and we're going for it because 13 isn't safe. You know, it's just one of those numbers where it's like, I, those three points don't do me much except for make it so I can kick a field goal. If they take the lead on me, I can kick a field goal and perhaps retake it if they're up 14, 13. So um, again, my own coaching philosophy for my non-existent football career, but football coaching career, but that's just one that I, is now just a rule in my head. Like, you know, I, I don't kick field goals when I'm up 10 and, and even, I don't know if I love kicking field goals when I'm up seven, I might just be like, eh, I don't know. I'm starting to have disdain for field goals, but I, I can at least see that, right? It's two possessions. Like that makes sense to me, but going from up two scores to up two scores, but higher two scores to me doesn't make any sense. I, I'm going to go back and find all the times where that's bit teams. Cause it's happened a bunch. Um, so I, that was to me a, a little bit curious. Again, I, I still have not watched that first half, so I don't know the circumstances. Maybe it was like a fourth and 16. And so it's like, there's really nothing what nothing we can do but kick it. So I, I may be, maybe I'm prejudging a little bit there on on Marcus Freeman and the all or in the Notre Dame coaching staff. But man, this game got interesting. I, there's like three plays that to me defined the game in totality. Uh, Riley Leonard escapes for a gosh, I don't have the stats in front of me. A, a really long run down the sideline. Duke ends up punching it in to take the lead in the fourth quarter. Things are getting really interesting and. And they have Notre Dame on the ropes, and there's an insane conversion. Did you guys see that Sam Hartman convert? What was it, fourth and sixteen? And man, like that was just fun because like Hartman, not really known for his running. Like he's not a statue. He's no he's no Peyton Manning. He can move, but it's just not. He is very much a pass first QB, and. And Duke's defense played that like the the initial play great. The play breaks down. Sam Mar or Sam Hartman, not Sam Martin. I don't know where that came from. Sam Hartman is flushed to his right, continues to look downfield, and then sees enough space and says, "I'm going for it." Takes off, barrels to the line. I just love the wild abandon that he just like charged through, like right where he needed to be because there was contact basically right at the line maybe he was a little bit beyond it but just like man giving it all for your team i was just really impressed with that i mean obviously you know he's a what five six-year veteran so i'm yeah maybe i shouldn't be surprised at that but a huge play to keep the drive going i think after that duke's defense was a little shell-shocked a little rattled and it was a couple plays later that they give up a long run for a touchdown and then finally, like the, the game defining plays, the one, the sack and, and the strip sack fumble of, of Riley Leonard, uh, still no specific word. I think it's the people suspect it's a high ankle sprain and that he'll be out multiple weeks. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. High sprain. OK, all right. I didn't know if they'd ever said it officially that, but apparently not a season end, ending injury. My wife and I were watching that. We were both sick. We were just like, oh, no. Like, cause he's just so fun to watch. I mean, last year you got to see him truck Miami defenders right and left this year, nearly led their 
led Duke to two, I would think, and you know, I'm not a Duke football historian, but that would have been probably the two best home wins of a single season in Duke history, right? Like it's got to be close. Yeah. Um, it's certainly in the last 30 years, like, um, man, I, I, like I, I'm hurting cause I don't know what Duke is going to do moving forward. Yeah. Um, cause I just, man, I just love that team. They are fun to watch. If you they, watch them this year, they're a fun team to watch. They play hard. They hit hard. They cover well. They're a great defense. I feel like they've taken on the mentality of their coach. So I, the one thing I know that they won't do is they won't shrink, right? Uh, they may not be as talented or as, you know, or, I mean, they're, they're down, you know, they'll be playing with an arm tied behind their back basically without Leonard at quarterback, but you know, they're going to fight still like, so uh, anyway, all that to say an impressive game. I, I feel like Marcus Freeman needed this one. I feel like if he had lost this one, the uh, criticism would grow louder. Things would get pretty interesting there in South Bend. So good one for him to quiet the haters for a couple weeks. Southern Cal comes to town and, uh, uh, you know that that'll that'll be an, another another adventure there. But sorry, I've I've been rambling for this for a while. I just really like that game. It was a really fun game. If you like defensive struggles, which I'm okay with, provided plays are being made and people are actually you know pads are popping. Uh, this was a fun one. Corey, what was your take on it? Um, yeah, I'm a Duke fan. I I enjoyed this game. Um, you you talked about how it was handled. Notre Dame goes down and scores right away, and then Duke has a an interception like two two drives later um, and Notre Dame isn't able to move the ball past there. And then like they've actually lose four yards. So it's like fourth and 14. So they get the field goal. And then for the rest of the half, they can't move the ball. They're down 10, nothing at halftime. And then um, they move the ball about 40 yards this time. And they like get in field goal range, but it's fourth and eight. It's like, all right, we haven't been in field goal range. No one's really been in field goal range this whole game. I think there's been a missed field goal by Duke earlier in the game. So like, 13, like getting points were at a premium. So I can understand kind of getting points when they're at a premium. Um, but still, I felt, I felt like Duke had a chance to win this game. Riley Leonard storms back. They rely on his legs in there, and he makes some great plays. Sam Hartman pulls out his inner Riley Leonard and runs for 16 yards, convert that first down, which is <laughs> kind of insane. I, I, I'm frustrated with Duke's defense in that perspective. Everybody has their back turned to the quarterback. I'm like, it's fourth and 16, cover two, but like, like, have your have your be facing the quarterback, you know, like drop in that into that zone, keep everybody in front of you, and then a second he starts to run, you have 16 yards to catch up, go go get him. But uh, I'm I'm annoyed with that play call, and then also Nebraska or not Nebraska, Notre Dame goes in and scores. I I don't know why you they went in and scored. Should have gone down at the one yard line again and won the game. You gave Riley Leonard a chance. Thankfully for Notre Dame's sake, you you sack him and end up rolling his ankle. I watched that over and over again to make sure it wasn't broken. And like by the second time I, or third time I watched it, I'm like, okay, that's going to be sprained. It's not going to be great. Um, in my expert doctor opinion. Um, See, I can't, I can't rewatch him. It makes my stomach turn. I'm just yeah, like, Oh, well, no, you have enough broken bones yourself. You can kind of be like, Oh yeah, that would probably wasn't break. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, so I, I saw, it, I was like, Oh, I don't think it's broken. Um, but we'll see end up how, how it goes. We got to look at Notre Dame or not Notre Dame, Duke's future schedule. They have a bye week this next week, so they're in good shape. They then play versus NC State at home. That NC State team hasn't looked super great. So, uh, MJ Morris, they made the change at QB. Did you see that? I did not see that. Spot. So, Is that the end I'm of the Louisville stunned. game? What? Was that 
that the end of the the Louisville they game? They just announced it. I don't know if he, he I don't know if he got pulled or if they just announced. It. I didn't catch that NC State uh, Louisville game, um, but they uh, they announced it today that MJ Morris is their starting quarterback going forward. So we'll Swing see. Miss me on Brandon there. Armstrong. I believe Elko is um, a good enough to, you know defensive coach that they can probably keep themselves inside the game. Um, and that's on the 14th. And then you play Florida State on the 21st, which is like that. From what I've heard, talks it's like three weeks is about when they kind of you would kind of expect them to come back. I, for Florida State's sake, I hope you don't because Florida State struggles with running quarterbacks, and they're going to face another one this next week in Virginia Tech's running quarterback who played phenomenal this week last week, and then you know go against Riley Leonard. Not a person I want to go against, to be honest. I, I do think this is interesting because I thought in my head. You had like Louisville and Duke, Miami, UNC, like had a chance to win the eight or go to the ACC championship with along with Florida State. Does this pull Duke back a little bit? Then is Louisville still free after that thirteen to ten squeak by NC State the other day? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, to to me, this is just the Mike Elko Big Ten coaching audition. Uh, can I coach in the Big Ten? Yes, this is Big Ten football. Um, this is. You know, it might have been ACC and, and independent, but this was Big Ten football that was being played. And there's going to be some jobs that will pay good money. They'll be looking for somebody of his expertise, I think, potentially. Um, I'd love maybe to see Riley come back. this time, but maybe, you know, a little less. Yeah, maybe, maybe. We'll we'll see how much Michigan State's willing to go. Um, but to me, I, I'd love to see Ryan back soon because if he can come back and he can be healthy – they can compete with anybody on the rest of their schedule. Um, and that, you know, that w- would be a bummer to see what they've done this season already. We see the quality team that they are and to see them, you know, go on four losses or something like that uh, would be a shame. So, so hoping that they can stick things out and hoping a uh, quick recovery for Leonard. Same, same. Uh, I did not get eyes on the Tennessee South Carolina game. Brian, you did. Takeaways. Yeah, I, I might have been the only one for us who did. Takeaways, um, these are two not very good teams who are playing. Uh, Joe Milton, really poor in this game. They they win 40, they score 41 points. He has a touchdown. He has two interceptions, and they are bad, ugly. I don't know what you were looking at, interceptions. Um, really, really, really brutal. Um, you also needed some pretty big plays by wide receivers on the long shots because that's been what's missing in the early part of the season. Last year with Hendon Hooker, you had that long ball where we're able to run the ball most of the game, control things, and then over the top, we've just got a, a cannon and Hyatt who you've got to chase. Milton hasn't been able to hit on those. and hit on those in this game, but a lot of good plays made by Squirrel Wright and Brew McCoy before McCoy got hurt. Um, Squirrel Wright in particular had a really, really nice one, but the running game came along really well for Tennessee this game. Uh, they have their three-headed dragon uh, running. They got small, right, and I'm going to forget the third name. Um, it might come to me in a bit, but excellent running game, and that's really what sustained in this game because Milton just looks – he, he kind of looks like a like a one-read pony where there's a lot of times where the, the play call will have him immediately pump fake somewhere, but then he's looking at where he really wants to go. So if it's not an immediate throw or immediate look, whatever – wherever he's looking in, in the, I'd say, 0.2 seconds after he's caught the ball, that's where he's going. And South Carolina cued in on it. Fortunately, South Carolina, fortunately for Tennessee, South Carolina didn't have what it takes to score with them uh, to stop that defense. Uh, but these are, I don't know, Tennessee's still ranked 
but there's a chance that they get beat down pretty bad uh, in, in a game that might surprise you somewhere in the season. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I I've I heard from a couple of different outlets. Yeah, like oh, the Tennessee ground game got run it got going, and I'm like, I, is that a function of you playing South Carolina though? Like, so it, it, it's hard to say. You know, they they have <laughs> got a little bit healthier on the O line since like the Florida game where they were dominated, but South Carolina's bad on the D line, so it's impossible to measure at this point. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll the jury's still out there. That's uh. Yeah, I I don't know how Tennessee's still ranked. I don't I don't I don't trust them. They don't look like ranked team. Yeah, I, I don't trust them. I'll tell you SEC. That's it. That's exactly how. Well, when you're preseason ranked, it takes a uh, pretty high. It takes a couple losses for people to catch on. Um, Sometimes tell you who too. I tell you who I do trust. Oregon State. Jonathan Smith. Did you guys see him do the like milk the clock thing? <laughs> oh my gosh! Like. So I, I am at the BYU game and like every like every media timeout, all that stuff, I'm pulling up the, the Oregon State Utah game. My wife and I are kind of just keeping tabs on it. Like again, BYU alumni love watching Utah lose. Utah's a really awesome program. I got a lot of respect for them. I do root for them to lose. Um and it's one of those where it's like, yeah, they're it it, it was I think Gosh, I'm going to get the, the timing of this wrong because I'm jumping between games that whole time. I'm changing context. But at one point, um, I was like, yeah, you, Oregon State's going to win this game. The, the one thing they can't do is throw the football to Utah, which then I say that my wife goes to the bathroom in the stadium. I'm out there waiting, and sure enough, DJU throws it to Utah, and, which they score off of that turnover if memory serves me right. But I think it's right after that, it's like, hey, Every second of that game, Johnson was doing the milk thing. Um, that is our next game to, to break down. Um, yeah, Oregon State's a really good physical football team, right? Um, if you get them into a shootout, you have a really good chance of winning. So uh, the teams on their schedule that can score points, Washington State's already shown it. Washington, Oregon. I don't know if they play USC. If they play USC, that's uh, you know that has that potential as well. But outside of those, if you can't score forty or fifty points and throw the football really effectively, you're you're in trouble. If you're a run-based team, Oregon State's their game for that. That plays right into their hands. And Utah, especially with a backup QB, uh, just didn't have answers for them. Uh, and frankly, I just, it it wasn't a super competitive game. As I was watching it, I was like. I don't know if I really need to watch the rest of this one. I'm going to watch it because I like watching Utah lose, like I said. Yeah. But And the um, backup QB gets benched in that game. They bring up the third stringer, and he's playing okay until he gets hurt, and then they have to bring back it back in, back up, back in. Um, you're talking about Nate Johnson, or are you talking about – So Nate Johnson was the, the starter last week and this week. He's the one that plays majority. Then they bench him for Barnes. Barnes comes in and plays oh, – like. 15 plays or something like that, and then gets hurt. And so the, Nate Johnson has to go back out there. To his credit, he does throw like a 40-something-yard touchdown after that. But, you know, um, or maybe not touchdown, but 40-yard pass. But uh, yeah, yeah, and Barnes looks to be out for a while, I think the rest of the season, um, it's gonna be if, if I'm remembering right. so Unless the bye week, they finally get Cam Rising come through. Yeah, that, that's the thing is if Rising doesn't come back, this is what it will be against the elite competition in the Pac-12. Uh, it, 
Oregon State's a different type of team, but I think it'll be the same result regardless. I think they have a bye week this week, right, though? And so, like, you have one more week to kind of get him. He's been practicing with the team, just hasn't been clear by the doctors. And then once he gets cleared. Yeah. They have, I mean, the number of uh, starting players that are currently out with injuries in Utah is staggering. So for the Utah fans, I know that's got to be just super frustrating to know that you're we're actually even better than what we've played so far. And up until this last week, we're undefeated having to deal with those, those challenges, but um, good luck to them moving forward. We'll have to see, you know, the schedule doesn't get easier. And uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens there. Speaking of potent rushing attacks though, we've got uh, a game that to me was very surprising. If you'll remember from last week, I had Florida, plus two and a half to win the game. I thought they would win outright. I wanted the points. Um, I was going to need those points and, and 19 more actually to be precise. Um, so uh, yeah, Florida loses in Lexington to Kentucky 33, 14, man, this was just stunning to me. I, I don't know if there was a more surprising result, just not just what the number was like, you know, I, I saw when Kentucky first went up 16 nothing, and I was like, oh, oh, that's surprising. And then then I looked at the stats, and then I was like, I have to go watch the game because I, I don't even have his name in front of me. Gosh, I, I'm ill-prepared here. Ray Davis. Ray Davis. I was going to say, I know his last name's Davis. Um, man, my guy went off. Like The crazy part is, is last week he had like 78 yards on like, 19 carries. What he was not effective last week, and then mm-hmm. this week he is just ripping them off. And it was like Superman. Yeah, and it he hits 175 yarder, but it's not like he wasn't hitting like 30, 40, 20, 19, 18, 17 yard runs consistently. Like it was weird to watch, and like Devin Leary wasn't playing well either. I think he can. He has like a, he's nine a, of 19. Okay, I was gonna say I think he had nine completions. Like. And this game was never in doubt. They're like I, I've watched a few f- uh, Florida podcasters, and they are are not happy with Napier's third down calling. Um, basically, um, offensively or defensively, from an offensive perspective, which is okay. kind of interesting, saying that like oh they put us in a predicament, but like that's not Graham Mertz's strong point. Like if you look go back, it's like third and fourteen, third and thirteen, third and eighteen, third and seventeen. Like it's a lot of long downs and distances, and then you have like third and nine, third and four, third and whatever. Like it is not if you average that it's probably third and twelve. But it's it's an interesting thing to me, like Ray Davis is is the story to talk about. I mean two hundred and eighty yards on the ground, nine yards receiving, four touchdowns, carries that team, makes the game not close. But then also like what Florida doesn't do in that game is is weird to me. Like Graham Mertz in that game, I think he's oh, – I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, I think he only has like six in, six incompletions in that entire game. Like Grant yeah, works I, this entire year. Huh? Uh, he plays a pretty good game. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. The, the, the thing to me is you have two pretty talented running backs who you have not been able to get going. Like this game, they did nothing. And that, that's mm-hmm. at least a lot of those long – you know, because Grant Mertz, you don't want to put him in a position to throw long on, you know, long second downs, long third downs. But if you can't run the ball, you can't consistently get to those second and sixes and those third and fours where you're you're in a comfortable range. So Mertz, I think, had a decent day. I mean, by all means, uh, not a bad performance, but just no balance that you're able to strike. 
they tried running it plenty. They didn't abandon the run. It's just never happening for them. Yeah, and even when they hit, have those third down and 12s, they throw – if they, when they did throw, it was like they threw nine yards instead of 12 yards. I, I was looking at Graham Mertz. I was trying to figure out what is going on with this four team a little bit. Like, And you look at the rushing attack. They struggled this game a little bit, but, but they haven't struggled the whole year. They've done okay in the rushing attack, but they aren't blowing you away in the rushing attack. They aren't blowing away away in the passing game. Graham Mertz is – he's 109 for 138. He's completing 79% of his passes this year. Like that – what else do you ask for? The dude, if you go back the last four years, last year he was a 57% completion. The year before that he was 59, 61, and then we're not going to count that time when he threw 10, 10 passes. But like 79% completion, right? He's not turning the ball over. He's six touchdowns, two interceptions, but his average yards per attempt is only eight yards per attempt. Like that was my question. Ball down the field, and so people are able to crowd the line and guard the pass, and it's – it's been a huge detriment to them. I think that's the really why this Florida team hasn't been successful is you can't stretch the field with any reliability. And so teams can just drop everybody in and be like, you know what? We'll put eight in the box and we can still cover the, the four-yard pass anyway. So it doesn't really matter. It, it feels like he's covering the roulette table with one chip on every single number. So he's right more often than he's not, but he's losing money, if you if that makes sense. Like... <laughs> Like, you know, it, it, it's it's where you're right, where he's he's being within the offense, he's doing well. But like to me, and, and I don't know if, the, again, if this is the scheme or if it's Grammarts himself, it, really, he doesn't deserve a whole lot of criticism. But like, man, I'll take a 65% completion rate if you push the ball down the field and complete 25% of those. Like, yeah. and, and they give us a couple of explosives and potentially a touchdown or two, like. And that's my question: Is Napier, Napier, Billy Napier, doing this, or is it Graham Mertz just taking the checkdowns and not taking the actual plays? They got to figure it out. Yeah, fair, fair question. They got to figure it out. Yeah. They will lose a lot of games if they don't figure this out. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll have to see. You, uh, Florida moving forward it, again, it doesn't get easier. They still have, uh, they still have Missouri, who's currently undefeated on the schedule. Georgia, Florida State, like, and they don't do well on the road, which is really surprising. Like, they're really poor on the road. Oh, I yeah. want to find that stat that I had. I think they're like one in thirteen in their last. Yeah, is it one in thirteen in it's, their last it's, fourteen? It's rough it rough. goes back to the Dan Mullen, so it's not all Billy Napier, but like, they're really bad on the road. I think Napier himself is one in seven on the road. That is insane. Oh, okay, I found it. Last seventeen games. Two and two and fifteen. On the road. On the road. Sheesh. Whether that be well, neutral site or start start or putting you... that in granite, put that in stone. When when the Gators come to town, we win. Yep. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll go on. I, I think this one will be quick. I don't know if anyone else watched the Washington Arizona game. Yeah, Pac-12 Network Couldn't. will do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But 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 there there are YouTube uh, shortened versions of it that that exist. Um, again, it's not the entire game; it's just like a condensed version with, uh, you know, most critical plays and stuff. So that's that's all I got eyes on. Yeah, I think this is much ado about nothing. I kind of talked about it earlier, so I won't spend a ton of time on this. Like Washington again was never in threat of losing that game. The only time Arizona had the opportunity to take the lead was in the first possession. Uh, so. 
I don't know. You talked about Josh Pate having the tweet of the weekend. I had he had the, I thought he had the worst take of the, of the weekend with his reaction show where he said, yeah, Georgia lost by seven, but Wa- or Georgia only won by seven, but Washington also only won by seven. I was like, uh, there are two different ways to, to win a game by seven points and, and, you know, ask USC the same thing. Like, you know, was that, was that outcome ever in doubt with USC? No, Colorado never had the ball with the opportunity to actually tie the game or take a lead. Like, so like that, that to me is kind of nonsense. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Washington to me, if you're, when you're going to the desert, the name of the game is winning it, right? Like, I don't care how ugly it is, just win it. Um, and, and I thought they looked fine in that game. Really what this was to me was, Hey, Arizona, again, I think they may have found a quarterback, which also I want to do some research on his height. Like his name was Noah Fifita. Uh, he was the high school quarterback and teammate of Tito Roa McMillian. Um, so he was kind of a big part of ha- helping him kind of come to Arizona. Um, but as a recruit, he was listed at 5'7". On Arizona's actual official roster, he's now 5'11". So I'm I'm curious, like, well, it seems a little late for a growth spurt. Not impossible, but, um, and, and also out there, I was like, oh, he maybe he looks taller than 5'7". He doesn't look quite that short. So I don't know if he's got some, like, I don't know what they call those shoes, you know, the, the ones, the lifts or whatever, or, or maybe he's just grown. But it, he looked really sharp throwing the football. You know, he's, uh, you know, and, and was a really accurate passer in high school out of Servite in Anaheim. And so I, I, I I was bullish on Arizona. I think I, I like him better, frankly, than than Delora. So we'll have to monitor that one going forward. But uh, another opportunity for him to take a chance and, and maybe win the job. He, again, he played admirably. Now they go on the road at Southern Cal. So show show me once again. He's got two NFL wide receivers in in Cowing and, and, and McMillan. So they've got weapons. And obviously he's got tons of familiarity with McMillan. They played together in high school. So. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone else had a comment on that. We'll, we'll, we can move quickly past that one. Uh, Washington's still looking like one or two of the, you know, kind of the class of the of the Pac-12, maybe uh, perhaps alongside with Oregon and, and, and maybe SC, but maybe maybe not. Um, Clemson 31, Syracuse 14. Corey, break it down for us. What were your takeaways? Yeah, so I watched this game. Um, Clemson, I, I feel like Cape Klubnik is basically – He's not a he's not a Trevor Lawrence. He's not a Deshaun Watson. He's more like a Taj Boyd. But he doesn't have a Sammy Watkins to throw to. He's got like okay receivers. I mean, their best receiver right now is uh, let me see Tyler Brown, and he's had 14 catches. He's a true freshman. He had 14 catches in the last two games, but like he's a true freshman, and he's five eight or five nine or something like that. He's not a tall guy. So like this this team is interesting. They don't have the quarterback that they need or the weapons to support that quarterback that they need to be a next-level team. This team will should win the majority of its games, but if they drop one or two, one more, one or two in the next rest of the year, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they aren't favored. The one thing that's kind of surprising me is um, running back situation. Will Shipley and, and uh, Phil Maffa. Maffa has looked a lot better than Will Shipley. Like, I've got the numbers up here real quick. Will Maffa has, has – has 6.5 yards of carry. He's carried the ball 43 times this year for four touchdowns with a long of 49. Will Shipley is 4.9 yards a carry, 72 carries, only has two touchdowns with a long of 19. Um, Phil Moff is the home run hitter. He's he's the better running back in my position, or my my opinion, which is kind of interesting to see that, like, Will Shipley is kind of not being as effective as he has been in the past. 
Well, I mean, can you include reception numbers in that? Because I think that's really the, the other part, that they, they complement each other quite well because Phil Moffa is, again, perhaps the more physical runner. Yeah, and I Shipley is the one that keeps you off balance because you have to – you got to account for him a as a pass catcher. In the, yeah. yeah. And I can look into that a little bit. But he still is rush. he used to rush for over 100 yards a lot of times too. So he's not doing that consistently. Um, the one other thing, though, I'm thinking that is this, this Clemson defense is good. Um, they'd be – Yes. They start this game off, honestly, they look like they were going to blow them out, and the offense kind of slowed down. Um, but the defense never let Syracuse at all in this game. So 31-14 against the undefeated Syracuse. We all kind of knew it was um, not as good as their record kind of showed. But, hey, they won. They took care of business as it was expected, even more so. Yeah, big bounce back, being, big bounce back game for Clemson. Yikes. Um, not out of the ACC race by – by any stretch. Well, I guess actually, sorry, I, I they had are, it was confusing. Great. They might be. They yeah. might be. Sorry, I, I just forgot I mean, about that Duke loss at the beginning. <laughs> I was like, oh, they only have one conference loss. They can they can still turn this around. Well, two is going to be a little bit more difficult. Th- I still would say, yeah, they'll, they'll need some help, but I, I'm not counting them out just yet. Um, the last game we wanted to break down, I think it's mostly because two thirds of us were at the game. <laughs> BYU Cincinnati. Uh, Corey, I, I'll, I'll let you. I've got thoughts on it, but I'll let you take the lead here. Um, if I'm Kalani Sataki, if I'm Keaton Slovis, or if I'm Chase Roberts, I would have gone out and bought a lot of ticket that last like that, that night <laughs> because BYU did not look good. They did not. They did not. They were not winning that game except for on the scoreboard. Their offense couldn't move the ball at besides the last play of the or last the last drive of the quarter. They had only had 38 yards. Um, Cincinnati couldn't finish. That was the biggest issue. Cincinnati would be down to like the 30 yard line. But then like even their interception for a touchdown is, is a blown coverage that ends up happening. Like the receivers, like they do an interview with the receiver, the cornerback and quarterbacks says, Oh yeah, we're playing a, um, a man scheme. And I thought we were playing a zone scheme. So I hand off my receiver, my guy. And I stayed in my zone instead of following my guy. Like I was supposed to, the ball just happened got thrown to me. And so I took it for a touchdown. But then you also have Keaton Slovis who like dodges a, a linebacker and overthrows his target deep. And Cincinnati has a safety just sitting there waiting on the ball. And Chase Roberts comes in, plucks the, ball, plucks the ball, and just takes it in for the end zone. And they ask Chase and Keaton at the end of the game, was that was that uh, on purpose? And both of them like, uh, no. <laughs> like, oh, they did it. Okay. I, I hadn't heard that, but I was just like, as, as soon as he threw it, I was like, uh-oh. And then yeah. Chase comes out of nowhere and, and like, scores. And, yeah, Megan and I are both standing there. Everyone's cheering around us. We're a little bit behind the student section, so it's it's like a little bit louder and rowdier. And and I was just like, no way he meant to do that. No way he meant to do that. I just kept saying, I was like, they were so lucky on that play. I, I was sitting next to another guy, and we both turned to each other and were like, uh, yeah, okay. And Chase didn't say anything, but Keaton at the end was like, uh, yeah. yeah that was – you know, sometimes it just works out the way we need it to work out. It was very clear. It was not <laughs> Like, well, and he has a history of overthrowing open guys. Like he was, so I was like, yeah. I'm, he's definitely. Was, I don't even remember who is the underneath route, but I was like, he's definitely thrown to him, and he just let it fly. Too I far. think that might be what you do with though is BYU. You, you run a crosser deep, and then you run a crosser <laughs> even deeper, and throw for the middle guy, and you might catch him on the second guy. So, sorry, did you have any more on that? Okay, so like, yeah, it, it's funny. This game was just interesting. Like again, if you're if you're a college football, like if you, if you're not a BYU fan or a Cincinnati fan and you're listening to this, number one, props to you for not skipping through it Two, like, 
you could go back and watch it. It's a pretty entertaining game. But like going to that game, I hadn't watched Cincinnati play any football this year. I don't think I watched like small pockets of them play Oklahoma last week. Um, but you know, as an FSU fan, I'm familiar with Emory Jones. I'm familiar with Xavier Henderson, and I'm familiar with Scott Satterfield when he was the head coach at Louisville. So driving to the game, my wife was like, "What do you think is going to happen?" I was like. Well, Cincinnati is going to try and run the football, both with their backs and with their quarterback. Uh, this quarterback, if you make him throw the football, he can't do it. So, or he can't do it consistently for sure. So, like, if you can either get up and build a lead and make them have to throw more, you're in good hands. Or if for whatever reason you're just stopping the run and forcing lots of third and longs, you're going to be in, in good shape too. Um, and I just, I felt like, I've never felt like, oh man, I have a game so nailed before. Because I went and watched the game. And it was just, I mean, that part was absolutely right. The other part that you kind of hit on, Corey, is like, I just, at one point, I leaned over and Meg and I were talking. I was like, it's weird. They're outplaying BYU down to down for the most part. Like, they're, they're outplaying them. But I've never once felt like this game was in jeopardy. Like, it's just like this really strange game where it's like, you know, that, uh, that, that pick six to start was big. Uh, BYU's offense. Again, very explosive and, and quite fortunate in a few areas to, to get some, some pretty big plays. I thought the, the play at halftime or like just right before the half was really big. I am first, like, I don't know how people feel about like seeing a game in the stadium, but like, I, I feel like I'm a savant when it comes to like having a good in-stadium experience because one, I pay attention to the media timeout guy. Like, so I know like, okay, I don't need to stand through this whole break. It's going to be three and a half minutes. I can take a break. I can sit down, recharge my legs. Uh, two, I am always like that. Oh, there's a, a timeout with 18 seconds left in the half. If they're not on like, you know, if they're not threatening to score, I'm like, I'm going to go down now, get in front of the lines for a bathroom concession, whatever it might be. Um, and, and usually what I'll do is I'll just hang out at the gate and check it, watch the, watch it until it ends. And then I go right straight to wherever I am. So just little things to make that in stadium experience a little bit better. So we did that. Like, I think there was like 18 seconds left and I was like, Hey, uh, they just took a timeout. Let's just slide out. We'll just hang out at the gate. So we watched it and it was coming right at us. Um, uh, except for, I guess we were on the other corner of the end zone, but where our gate was is slightly it, kind of in the middle of the end zone, but like maybe like one third of the way from the South side line or from the West side line rather. Uh, and so he scores in 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 the, on like that southeast corner rather than the southwest corner where we were. But um, I think it just showed him like, hey, open up the offense, throw the ball a little bit more. Uh, I I don't know how many Big Twelve wins either of these teams garner. So I can't even remember whose article it was, so I can't give the appropriate credit. But the newcomers to the Big Twelve are one and seven. Uh, with the only one win being BYU beating another newcomer in Cincinnati. So, uh, so far, so bad for the new additions. Um, yeah, so that was just a really fun one. And I realized I skipped over one more that I, I had noted, but it just jumped right over it. UCF and Baylor. Uh, did you guys go back and watch this? Oh, my goodness. What a fun fourth quarter. That thing was wild. <laughs> So uh, just to quickly recap, Brian, didn't seem like you'd seen it, but like, um, so heading into the fourth quarter, UCF is up 35-10. They had a 35-7 lead with about three minutes left in the third, and they lose the game. Like, and the funny thing is, like, it's not like their offense stalls. 
their offense like continues to move the football extremely well almost the entire game with the exception of the last their last gasp like try and, and retake the lead with a last second field goal but everything else that that you needed to have happen happens like again they stop themselves a bunch you have a third and three and the quarterback who is the backup for UCF you know they're starting quarterbacks out but he had a great game he he was at one point was the start of USF he, he made the made the switch in that rivalry so uh, that's got a sting for the Bulls but it was probably pretty sweet to see him cough this game up but third and three has a guy wide open for like an 18 yard gain throws it six yards behind him. So like had exactly what you wanted for a third down conversion. doesn't get it. They punt. Baylor goes down and scores a touchdown on the next drive. They move the ball. Like I can't remember. It's a 72 yard fumble return for a touchdown. I think something like that. So they move the ball just right back. And I was like, as I'm watching it, I know the result because I've seen it before. So I was like, I just have to go and see how this plays out. And even then I'm just like, what happens that they like, cause just, I think they're averaging like nine yards a play. They were just, doing whatever they wanted to offensively couldn't get out of their own way when it came to just one bad incompletion on a third down the next drive they move the ball down the field and they get into a wildcat formation and they bumble they fumble the exchange between the wildcat qb and the running back balls on the ground defensive back picks it up runs it back for another touchdown like everything that you needed to have happen happened i can't remember if there was another turnover um Man, it, it was just like I, I was watch. I watched it last night, and I was like, "This is the most insane thing!" Uh, and it was just really fun. So, if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this, go back and watch that. Uh, PSC Highlights has a really good like 10 minute video of it on YouTube, just kind of like all the major plays that contributed to that comeback. But yes, uh, Baylor scores the final 29 points of the game. You're not going to mention the fourth down conversion where he drops all the well, way back that's, to the goal uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you, it seems like you've seen that, Brian, based on your response to that. So yeah, a, an amazing play. Again, Timmy McLean's a pretty good player. I got to see him up close and personal when USF came to BYU a couple of years ago. And he's, he's a good player, right? He's athletic. He's a pretty good quarterback. Again, some accuracy issues here and there, throwing the football, but uh, makes, yeah, an insane play where he retreats back. In uh, is he in the end zone? I think he's in the end zone for a little bit and, and converts an amazing fourth down to keep that drive going it does end up stalling out and their kicker doesn't have the leg to get the 58 yarder that they try it doesn't doesn't get to like it bounces in the end zone doesn't get to the goalposts and even then i think it was gonna be right anyway but um man that's a fun game probably pretty discouraging if you're ucf because that one's a a conference game that you look at and you're like ah you know obviously should have won it but I don't know how many others you can feel great about with your backup QB. Uh, you know, not saying that he's bad. Again, I think he's a pretty good player, but just knowing that you've got something better on the roster, man, it was a fun one. That was all. It was just like, I love those types of stories where people don't give up and, and you know, the Baylor fans, to their credit, stuck around. Like, I mean, it's an away game, so, like, where, where are you going to go? But um, they they were rewarded for uh, for sticking it out when it was pretty ugly through three quarters. That's this is one of the things I liked about this week. There were comebacks and stuff like that. I mean, you had Virginia was down, was uh, up seventeen nothing against Boston College. Boston College comes back and wins twenty seven twenty four. Utah State down seventeen nothing against UConn, and then they win thirty four thirty three with a block PAT with forty seconds left. Like there were some just good oh, little yeah. games that happened like that this whole week. 
So I mean, even Ole, Ole Miss is down two scores in the yeah. fourth quarter. Like, yeah, yeah, that's ah, uh, that, that's one of the reasons why I love the game. You're right. You're just you're you're never out of it. I mean, there are some that are out of it, but if you have that belief and you keep keep playing, who knows what can happen. Yeah, um, Th- this oh, cool. comeback win also is probably possibly one that saves Dave Aranda's job at Baylor. Um, without this win, you're one in four with your one win being against Long Island. You're now two and three, and maybe it gets you there for a little bit longer. But if you lose this game, you immediately start passing out that collection plate and seeing what can we do. Um, so I think this gives him another week, uh, but he's got to get things get things rolling a little bit better in Baylor if he wants to stay there long term. For sure. Who do they have this next week? Uh, Texas you know? Tech. Oof. Two two well, teams that want to win. Yeah. All right. Well, I I guess do, do we have win totals draft recap this week or is that still from last week? Um, I have we it. Should, okay, we can we can check in on that real quick, um, and then and then we'll wrap. Um, you want me to share? Sure. Well, while you pull that up. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Just a, a reminder for for newer listeners what what we're talking about here with this win totals draft is ahead of the season. Uh, the four brothers all participated in a draft where you would draft teams and collectively add the total number of wins that those teams secure over the regular season. So each team plays 12 uh, total possible wins to be collected by each brother is 120. We're now five weeks plus a week zero into the season. And uh, Corey's going to show us our results. Yeah, um, so... I, again, sometimes this doesn't always, Oh, sorry, real quick. Um, Sometimes this doesn't always show well on on the YouTube, so we'll, we'll read it off for you. We know it can be a little bit of an eye chart, but um, oh, there you go, Control Plus, good job, Corey. Go ahead, take over. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm in, I'm in last after winning last year. I'm I'm in last significantly. I'm at 36 wins. I had four teams on a bye this week, but I'm still only like a game less behind or game less played than Mark. And then two games less played than, than Brian and four behind Steve. Steve and Mark are at 39 wins, and Brian with a solid 8 0 week comes in at four, or is at 42 wins. Um, so I go four and two, Steve goes seven and two, Mark goes six and one, and Brian goes eight and zero. I actually saw a thing the other day that talked about people doing this in the NFL. You get 10, 10 people and you draft all 30 teams, or you draft 30 teams between those 10 people. No, so, yeah, you draft 32. How many people you have? Draft eight teams per person. Huh? Eight teams per person for all, all 32? Yeah, d- depending on how you do it. You, you you draft about 30 teams. And the goal is to be either the highest winning team group or the lowest the losses. So you And you can trade teams as the season goes on. So if you're competing against people, you don't necessarily know if they're going for losses or for wins. That's an interesting idea. That's kind of what we have here. Um, if we had more people, we could trade. Um, because there's some people I would like to get off my team. I mean, Coastal Carolina is going to be is rough. And Boise State is look, are looking like two bad, bad decisions for me. Boise State even more so. Although I the the poorest decision may be at the FAU one, Steve. Sorry. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if if Conference USA can can be a little bit more forgiving than their non-conference schedule. Which I, I went in thinking, okay, you're probably one in three in the non-con, uh, just with playing Illinois, playing um, Ohio. Is it? Gosh, I'm going to get this wrong. They didn't play Ohio. Did they play Ohio? Now, now I'm mixing up I my teams remember. here. Um, 
they, they had a tough non-con, and I kind of knew that. I just mostly thought, all right, Casey Thompson, Tom Herman, band's getting back together, and it's at a lower level of football. They probably should do just fine. Um, no, no, not so far. Obviously, Casey Thompson's out for the season. Um, yeah, the one was like, man, if only I could pick up Mizzou on the waiver wire. Um, yeah. Or, or Kentucky. Um, mostly kidding about that. But, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because I look at this and, like, you know, USC is five and zero. Oh. I still don't feel very good about that pick, though. Like, I'm I'm nervous about it now. Um, yeah, and who Oregon. I feel I feel really good about Oregon. Penn State. I feel pretty good about that one. Um, but that's that's really it. The rest of my teams, like Louisville's, kind of lucky to be five and zero. Oh. They're playing Notre Dame, so I got a little like Steve on Steve crime that's about to take place. Like, um, but I I don't know. Like my team's okay. It's it's not going to be the embarrassing effort from last year. But uh, yeah, some yeah some some teams that are questionable at the best. So you guys need to start deciding what my punishment is going to be. And unlike Steve, I'm not going to negate it. <laughs> not going to what? Negate it. Be like, no, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> I can't remember what that one was. I was like, uh, no, that, that no, one's I was the Olive Garden. Harsh, but... Like you have to go to Olive Garden, and for every bowl of pasta, you you can decrease your time an hour, but you have to be there for 24 hours. <laughs> And you're like, nope. Well, it's not, not even open twenty four hours. That doesn't even work. Like it, that's why you better get it done or you have to go back the next day. That's a lot of pasta to eat. That's way worse than the Oh god. And, and it and it's Olive Garden pasta. Exactly. Like, Top of the line. You should also have thrown in the rule that you, you can't say no to any cheese. You gotta just let them go. <laughs> <laughs> um, That'd be brutal. <laughs> but it helped me in surviving the woods. It would. It would enhance your chip. <laughs> well, we'd see. It might be a brutal little I don't know, a couple days there for you. Um, yeah. The one with, thing I, I have noticed not... is like we have four or five. Te- everybody has four or five undefeated teams still on their list. So we did a good job of getting those, a lot of those. But there's still four teams that we didn't pick. Washington State, Kentucky, Missouri. I don't remember the other one off the top of my head. Um, let me look at my notes. Oh, yeah. Um, Marshall. So. We yeah. are. So we missed a few of them. Brian, what do you think about your team? Tennessee's the one that scares me. So I have Tennessee. That was my third round pick. And getting into conference play, I'm going, okay, Kentucky, probably a loss. Alabama, probably a loss. Georgia, probably a loss. Uh, there's just a lot to go poorly there, potentially. They have some tools on offense, but they also have lost Brew McCoy for the season now. Uh, so the, those are being diminished as well. I feel really like I lucked into Fresno State in the eighth round. Boise yeah. State and Air Force were taken before in, in the Mountain West, and so that was on my on my big board. That was my third highest team that I'd taken the Mountain West, uh, and I was like, oh, I'll settle for them. I think they they should do well, and they're doing really really well. James Madison has continued to show up for me, um, and then I just need to win some some key games uh, as the season goes on. I need. Florida State to beat Miami, to put some distance between me and Mark. I need Oklahoma to beat Texas. We'll, we'll do the same. So so there's some notable games for my bigger teams, but Tennessee is the one that I'm scared is going to – the floor might fall out. Everyone else I'm feeling pretty good about uh, with, I guess, listing them out. Western Kentucky, SMU, Ohio, Toledo, Oklahoma, Michigan. I think I've named everyone there. So um, f- feeling good except for Tennessee. Does any one of us have two playoff teams on their roster? I might. In... Florida State might get in by virtue of the ACC's 
not great. I don't think they're a top four team in the country, but they're what well, you would have said were their biggest two hurdles going into the season. They've already played in one. Now we see, oh, well, you've got to play Duke, and if Riley Leonard's there, that might be tough. Miami's a lot better than we anticipated. Um, and Florida, who knows what you're getting from week to week, but it's still a rivalry game. So I think Florida State's a possibility, and then Michigan certainly um, number two in the country. They have been to the playoff each of the past couple of seasons. They could be back. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm looking at it. Oh, oh go ahead, Corey. Texas. Ryan could have three. Potentially. I, I'm looking at this, and I, I'm seeing, like, okay, Corey, Ohio State, Washington. That looks like a pretty good combo. Uh, myself, I think it's probably Oregon, Penn State's the most likely. Again, I have USC. Uh, USC and Oregon are not both going to make it, or I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah. But Penn State, to me, is a, is an outside shot. So, like, it's I, I'm probably the least likely. With Mark, you've got Georgia, Texas. That looks like a pretty good combo. Very like strong. you said, Bry, Michigan, Florida State, and and maybe Oklahoma. Um, so I don't know. This this will be fun. It's a I think a tighter race right now through five weeks than it was last year when it was just abundantly clear that some of us drafted very very poorly. Um, this year it's me. For those listening, I'm pointing at myself. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to see again. Some head to head matchups will start to. Um, either put some distance or, or continue to close the gap for some of us, depending on results. So, well, and, and a lot of us have cannibal games, except for Brian doesn't have any of those because he's drafted in every, <laughs> other, in every outside of every. Oh, he, did, he doesn't have a single time where his teams play. I don't think he does. I don't think I it's do. Oh, I had, I had SMU Oklahoma. I think that was the oh, last that's, one. I yep. think I had mm-hmm. two overall, but I think they're in the past already. Yeah, I have Ohio wow. State, Maryland this upcoming week. I've got Notre Dame, Louisville this week, and then later this year I've got you know, USC and Oregon, Oregon and Oregon State. That's the one thing that that I might learn from this year's draft. It's like, you know, you got to draft for value, but also consider like the baked in losses that you're buying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, cool. All right. Well, let's go to parting shots. Let's wrap it up or keep this under ninety minutes, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> And we'll go in the same order that we had this last week. Bright, what do you got? Lay out on us. I mean, I, I don't really have parting shots for this, but like LSU, your year two under uh, under Kelly. I know year one, you were a little bit ahead of schedule, but like next year, you're not going to have the same quarterback. Your defense has gone downhill, including returning the best defensive player in the country or what we thought was the best defensive player in the country. You know, what, what are the moves there? What what are the things you need to do on the staff to reconvince people? Yeah. I'm the head coach of uh, LSU long-term. Obviously he's got a long contract. So he'll be there a while, but the way you felt five weeks ago, six weeks ago as an LSU fan, the way you feel now are probably very, very different. And I think it's warranted the way that you're feeling now. It's, you you have no confidence that your team can stop anyone. And that means in any given week, regardless whether you feel like you're more talented, you might lose. So, Yeah, I would say they might want to try and portal their way out of it, but they kind of portaled their way into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Denver Harris, who got – he was a big portal acquisition. They brought him in, then he went to the third team. Now he's back on the field. Uh, shows you're really just digging through whatever you got. <laughs> it's uh, – 
It's an ugly situation. Corey, hit us with your parting shots. Did anybody see the blow up by Trent Dilfer on on uh, his assistant coach for not having the I right didn't. amount of players I, on the I heard that alluded to, but I, I have not seen it. Trent, your team is not good enough for you to have that blow up. I mean, you are one in four. Good night. But it, it, he is, looks like a little baby having a fit. I would be so embarrassed. I understand that it's a game. I understand that you need to chew a person out occasionally. But that like that looked like it looked like one of my three year olds, to be honest, where they lost control and he was just angry about it. And that, I mean, I get it. You you were within eight within with Delane, but we all knew you weren't going to win that game. So just whatever, dude. Yeah, I, right. it'd be hard to sign up for coaching for him after watching that. I don't know. People still work for Brian Kelly. Um, anyway, uh, my, my parting shot was there are some defensive coordinators that are, uh, I don't even know what the word is, but just looking for solutions, I think, is as diplomatic as I can put it. And it's just interesting how, like, to me, it's like Alex Grinch specifically has you know, years of his resume where he was awesome. Like, there's a reason he got hired at Oklahoma is because they played mad defense at Washington State when he was their defensive coordinator. Part of that, I think, was personnel. You know, there aren't that many Hercules Mata'afas in the world uh, who didn't end up being, like, a superstar NFL player, but that guy was a game wrecker as a defensive tackle. Boy, that, that's, a, that's a guy that I that go back and watch his highlights. They are fun. Uh, and it's just hard to have fun defensive tackle highlights sometimes just because the nature of the position is such. But Grinch, uh-oh. Um, I mean, the Florida's defense, I, and now I'm blanking on his... Austin Armstrong, I was going to say that. Oh, have you guys seen the video? Like, okay, so when he's first... <laughs> I have a hard time saying this without laughing. Like, when he's first introduced, he talks about, like, here's what we're going to run. And it just sounds like this word salad of football terms. But it's just, like, I, I, I can't even recreate it. We're going to have a tool shed. We're going to be able to switch it up this on the front side, this on the back side. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's, like, it's cover three concepts and fire green concepts. And, like, just, like, every single, like, football word term it was just like it was like madden like ask madden got like uh, those like on a haywire for some reason it just like starts just like vomiting word vomiting all of the different options for you to select defensively and people have put that audio to like the highlights of uh gosh ray davis is that it yeah, yeah ray davis just like running through them like, right and left and just like what? Uh, and- and oh, man. answers, they put 13 men on the field and still can and... <laughs> Can't say he's not being creative. That's right. <laughs> um, the, the final one I was going to throw out there um, with the defense. Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on it now. Who's the Matt other House? defensive coordinator? Yes, that was it. There we go. <laughs> Matt House uh, might need to be looking for a new house in a different town. Uh it's uh, I don't know if Baton Rouge is going to be the place he ends up long term. Uh, yeah, I just the the mismanagement of Harold Perkins is to me borderline fireable. Yeah, uh, so I was I was looking at some analysis on adjusted EPA for uh, per play um, mm-hmm. for a defense perspective. LSU's 
almost dead last in the entire nation. That ain't going to do. That ain't going to do. All right. So for those defensive coordinators, tighten it up this week. We'll check in next week and see how they do. Um, if there's nothing else, well, thank you for listening to the pod. Like, subscribe, share, all the good stuff. You can reach out to us. Give us your thoughts on our analysis on, on the games, what you think is going to happen. It's at CFB paint underscore on X, uh, CFB paint at gmail.com. If email is more your speed. Um, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.